Welcome to Carstral Studies Conversations, a series that seeks to understand and illuminate the carstral state's past and present so as to deconstruct these complex systems that structure society and perpetuate harm. I'm recording from the traditional lands of the Cato Nation and the Wichita and affiliated tribes, and which was also part of the Muscogee Creek and Seminole Nations. And our guest today is recording from the traditional territories of the Three Fire People, the Ojibwe, Odawa, and Potawatomi. The area was also a site of trade, gathering, and healing for more than a dozen other Native peoples. Our guest today, who I'm extremely excited to be in conversation with, is Reuben Jonathan Miller, an assistant professor in the University of Chicago Crown Family School of Social Work, Policy, and Practice. His research examines life at the intersections of race, poverty, crime control, and social welfare policy. His new book, which we'll delve into today, and I strongly recommend all our listeners read, um, is Halfway Home, Race, Punishment, and the Afterlife of Mass Incarceration, which is based on 15 years of research and practice with currently and formerly incarcerated men, women, their families, partners, and friends. Thank you so much for being in conversation today, Dr. Miller. Happy to be here. Very happy to be here with you. Good. So let's, let's jump right in. This book, you open it up um, with this line that you say the book follows, quote, the people who we've learned not to see. And the book does an excellent job of restoring humanity and decency and dignity to people affected and stigmatized by the carceral system. And so how does that process of learning not to see people happen? Yeah, it's, it's a great, it's a, you know, this, this is a great question. To me, I, I think for this group specifically, I think there's a general way that we render people invisible, but I think there's a very specific one when it comes to people touched by the criminal justice system. I think in the general sense, we overlook the poor and, and, and we overlook people that we've left out of uh, our advancement, whatever that means. So as we move, as, as, as the political economy grows and shape shifts and finds ways to develop and accumulate capital, the, the people who are the pieces parts of that, the hands and the heads and the arms and the legs that go into the production of that dough and things and resources are quite literally the footstools of it, you know? And so, and so you don't think about a footstool. You don't think about uh, the ottoman in, in your house. You don't, you, don't, you don't think about, you know, you, you, you might pay attention to the dresser. You, you might pay attention to the lamp. You know, the, the lamp gets, 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 gets a particular kind of shine. Like it's, you know, you might, you might pay attention to the, to the, to the plates uh, that you have on display in the shelf. You might even pay attention to the bookcase, but you don't pay atten- you don't pay as much attention to the floor unless the floor has been polished. You don't pay as you certainly don't pay as much attention uh, to the joists uh, that support that floor because you don't see them. There's a the, the, and it's, it's it's and so and so the the labor and the people that labor get papered over, get get built upon, get and so and so there's, there's a, in a general sense, um, the laborer is overlooked, is covered, is is built upon. Uh, it, it is it is it is the nature of construction, 
if, if, if that makes sense. So, that, <laughs> so there's, there's, there's sort of that, there's sort of that general sense. Um, but, 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 but in a very specific sense for this group, there's another kind of invisibility uh, or invisibilizing that, that, that we see at work here. And, and that has to do with uh, the silencing and the pushing to the side and the overlooking of people who occupy a particular social position. So it's a social position that I don't want to see, so I look away from it. It's a, it's a set of experiences that I don't want to admit exist. And so I don't attend to them. And it's a group that I think deserve the treatment that they get. And so why give it any additional thought? You know, these are murderers, thieves, liars. These are criminals. Why give it any additional thought? And so, and so, and so in that way, I think um, we see this kind of creative rendering. In part, it's, it's, it's about how we do business. It is about the nature of construction, in part. Um, but then there's this moral valence that also helps us to not see, to look away, to not attend to, to not care about, to not attend to in any way that's meaningful, uh, these groups who we say are getting what they deserve. Mm-hmm. So that's that's really interesting to frame it as such that we can, we have this moral and this ability to just ignore them and move on with our lives and not see them. So what does not seeing these people allow I'm going to use the word us, us as society to gain, to do or not to do. And then on the flip side, how does invisibilizing these people, what does it do to the people who are invisible? Yeah. Okay. So I want to, I want to take this in a couple parts. So, so, so one, I want to, let's talk about the the work of invisibilizing and what it does. Um, uh, So I want to, I want to add to the, if you don't mind, I'd like to add another group to the question, which might be, uh, to the people who aren't paying attention. So what does it do to the people who aren't seeing? And so, and so Bruce Western, you know, one of his early works uh, in this area was about unemployment. You know, I, Bruce Western and Becky Pettit, if I were to think about their early works and Becky Pettit's, uh, you know, book from 2012 is titled Invisible Man, for example. But if I think about their early work, I would say, um, you know, one of the early questions they're asking is what happens if you just pay attention? And let's think, let's look at the labor market and political outcomes of paying attention to this group. And if you just count, if you just count people in prisons, uh, in the unemployment rate, because they are unemployed, they effectively wards of the court, they cannot work. If you count them in the unemployment rate, it adds a full two percentage points to the national unemployment rate. And if you count them among black, the black unemployed, because of our egregious racial disparities, and this is, it doesn't say that this doesn't affect white people. It absolutely does. And, you know, we can, we should come back to this. It adds a full seven percentage points to black unemployment. So, so what this does is it hides, uh, you know, Angela Davis says prisons hide poverty. It hides, it hides poverty. It hides the egregious human rights abuses. Well, that's the prison. That's not this landscape that I'm trying to paint. You know, the 2.3 or 4 at the at its height million people who are held in a cage on any given day. But we know from Sarah Shannon and colleagues that the 19.6 million people who have felony records, meaning people who passed through a prison who were convicted of a quote serious crime, over half of which were for violent crimes that are living walking, moving around the world. And we know from BRAME uh, and colleagues that something like 38% of white men will be arrested for a non-traffic violation by the time they turn 23. 
We know that there are 80 million people with criminal records from the Bureau of Justice Statistics. We learned that in 2014. So that's a third of the U.S. adult population has a criminal record. So what this does, on the one hand, it helps us to underestimate the extent of the trouble that we've created for ourselves, which means that our reforms of those are going to be edge work at best. You know, they're going to be tweaks. They're going to be small things that we that we manipulate in hopes to help us feel better about ourselves, but that never really come to grips with the problem, the, the kind of inequality that that the, the massive prison state that we've engineered generates among the poor. This is a second you know, answer, which is which is what is due to them. Well, it generates instability. It generates inequality. It generates kind of shame and guilt. It creates and produces a pariah class. That it's, that's nearly impossible to break your way out. It limits social mobility as a group. If you think about the general unemployment rate, add two percentage points to it. We don't want those 2%. And that's, that's just prisoners. That's not all these folks who were permanently locked out that, that I'm talking about. But the other thing it allows us to do, the thing that's beneficial, the reason why we do it, I think, the thing that's seductive about it, is that I get to say that's not me or mine. But the statistics tell me that's not even true. The stats tell me that 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 one in two American families have ex, have experienced this. That that one in two Americans have a loved one who's been to an American jail or prison at some point in their life, and that one in eight white women right now has a loved one in an American jail or prison. This is deep. Ever and currently in ever half. Currently in one in eight white women. This is this is also like, like so okay so 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 then then the question is like like why do we why do we tolerate this? I think American racism helps us tolerate this because we think that this is a black problem. <laughs> that that we're, that we're, that we're, that we're so racist. <laughs> that that like the conflation of blackness and criminality has has worked so well in the American imagination that we get to overlook something that, that that impacts half the country because we think it's those poor bad black people that experience it you see so 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 this this is that work on those three levels what does it do uh to the person who experiences it well it destabilizes certainly let's let's look let's look where it's most deeply concentrated let's look in the black family it let's look in the let's look at among black people Black people are five times more likely to be incarcerated, twice as likely to be arrested, do more time when they're when they're incarcerated, held for longer, um, have 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 live in worse prison conditions. So 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 recent studies of things like secure housing, for example, one of my students did this brilliant study of of uh, of, of secure housing in Michigan and finds that black people were not only more likely to be in things like solitary, but were more likely to be in all kinds of secure housing and that they lived in more secure housing more often for the same crimes as, as their white counterparts. So, that, so we know that the prison conditions are worse. So, so that we know that black folks got the flu, black folks got COVID in, in this analogy. Okay, black folks got COVID, that means white folks don't get COVID too because we live together. Okay, black folks got COVID, white folks might get over COVID because they have better access to medicines or something like that. Uh, but 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 white folks going to be out the labor market for six months trying to recover. So 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 so, so it, it, in other words, it doesn't stop at the threshold of the black family. So this thing that we've produced through our racism doesn't stop at the threshold of the black family that it affects all of us. So, so anyway, that's a very long answer um to your to your to your quite insightful um 
question, which are about which, which which I take to really be about the stakes of all of this. Who, who does it affect and how it affects the person who who perhaps I imagine to be the target of it, which is why it could be so punitive and harsh. It, it means that we have the largest prison system in the world. It means that we have 900,000 black men or black people in an American jail or prison right now. But we also have 900,000 white people in a prison. If you let every black person go, says Marie Gottschalk in 2015, she's been saying this for six years, longer, because she's been saying this as long as she worked on the book. You know, <laughs> you know, so probably for a decade she's been saying this. She's been saying, if you let every black American go, we'd still have one of the largest prisons in the world. And so, and so one of the effects of all of this on the people as it destabilizes them, but on the people who don't imagine themselves to be caught in the system, it wraps... It, 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 it draws them in as well. It destabilizes our economy. It, it, it creates precarity and insecurity. It lowers the wage. It produces a pool of undesirable labor candidates. It, it, right? it, 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 and, and, and oh, and by the way, um, if criminologists are right, then it, then, 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 then it only exacerbates the, quote, criminogenic conditions. Uh, that 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 it's supposed to address. Yeah, that's a that's a great point. That's an important point. And the fact that American racism, American anti-blackness blinds us to the fact that this is a societal problem. Now, while incarceration, its afterlife does disproportionately affect black people and communities of color. It is a society that affects all of or it is a problem that affects all of society. So I want to think about the ways we view incarceration and the after effects in relation to citizenship in the U.S. Um, What is full citizenship? What does citizenship mean? Is it a question of law or is it a question of culture? So I I talk about, in my writing, I talk about citizenship as being both, as I think most scholars of citizenship um, would discuss it. So there's the formal part of it, the legal part, which have to do with rights, restrictions, uh, and responsibility. So, you know, you must vote um, responsibility, for example. You must register for selective service if you're a male over the age of 18 and you want something like financial aid, meaning you register for the draft, though we got rid of the draft. Um, uh, rights, as in, you know, things you have access to and things you have protections from, and then restrictions, things you must do to, to ensure that we, we, you know, we live together. You know, you must follow the laws of the land, this kind of thing. And, um, you know, I've argued that, certainly both in the book, but also in in my own just academic writings on this question, I've argued that that people with criminal records exist in an alternate legal reality. They have different rights, restrictions, and responsibilities that are just separate from everybody else. You know, 45,000 laws and policies that target just them. Those are the laws, the the restrictions, um, but also uh, different kinds of uh, responsibilities. You must check into drug treatment. You must uh, not cross state lines. You may not freely associate uh, with one another, which of course is the bedrock of of the democratic project. The idea of association, the idea that we can get together and 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 and, and figure out, you know, what's happening. There's also what we might call the social sense of it, you know, uh, which has to do with belonging, which is what I think the citizenship literature comes down to that that citizenship at the end of the day is about belonging to a political community uh, to be being a hu- fully human participant within a political community 
uh, th- that to have certain to be able to move in certain kinds of ways in and through that community to to, to connect and have relation. And and what mass incarceration done is it is it's produced a world in which we've excluded people from the political community, a world a world where people are made to not belong, a world where we haven't made a place uh, for people who have harmed us, uh, in part because we're afraid. And, and a part of the reason why switching the scale matters, in other words, moving. Uh, shifting the way that we think about this thing from a question of micro uh, interaction or the behaviors that people do every day, even though that's important because I think the social world is constituted through micro interactions. Like this is part of the way I I approach a question, but shifting away from a behaviorist version of this mass incarceration is about bad people doing bad things. If only we can help people to stop doing bad things. If only we can teach them how to tie ties and write resumes. If only we can teach them how to look each other in the eye when they resolve conflict. If only we can teach them uh, how to how to balance their books so they're not hungry, so they don't steal. You know, that's the progressive version of it, you know, um, or the center left version more so, I think is a better way to put it. Uh, uh, the human capital interventionist version of it, where we just build the capital of individuals so that they can move through the social world more freely or something like that. But we but we ignore the fact of their freedoms. We ignore the fact of these legal exclusions and restrictions. We ignore the fact that we've uh, created no place for them actually in our homes. We ignore the fact that we look down upon them, that we castigate them, that we that we're afraid of these folks, and we we and we govern as if we're afraid of them across social institutions. You know, the 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 the, the whole uh, project of education, American education, right now, and probably for the last forty or so years, uh, kind of hinges on notions of delinquents and and delinquency prevention. You know, American education, at least urban education does. The specter of the the, the wilding out black boy who's going to, you know, lose control of himself. And, you know, his, him and his gang partners are going to enact acts of violence. So, 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 so a bunch of training on how to resolve conflicts that these kids can't because they're parents are gone that you know that they're being raised by mothers you know <laughs> you know like anyway uh single mothers who 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 for some reason aren't aren't enough the, the the way we think about this group is 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 we think about them as a risk and and we think about them as engaging in risk behaviors and we have to move away from i think if we're going to crack this egg i think we have to move away from this framework this framing of the problem if mass incarceration is a problem of behavior, you just give somebody a rehabilitation program. There it is. We're done. Just move from, if we just get away from uh, punishment and into rehabilitation, we've we've answered the problem. So will reformers say, you know, but it's so much deeper than that. It's so much deeper than, you know, how much moral recognition therapy somebody gets or, or, you know, <laughs> and look at that name, look at that name of that program, moral recognition therapy. Uh, how much CBT, cognitive behavioral therapy they get, you know, can they reframe the problems that they're facing? This isn't to say that people don't need therapy, they don't need CBT, or that they even have to come to some sort of moral reckoning. That, that, that's, that's really not the question at hand. The, the, the point is the scale at which the intervention takes place is always the scale of individual action and interaction. What is it that I do in response to my circumstance? Not at, at the scale of the ecology uh, in which I, I move. So we get rid of workforce placement 
services and work release programs. And we shift to workforce development programs, which get me ready for the worlds of work, but nothing gets the worlds of work ready for me. It, it, it's, it's a problem of citizenship because I can't feed my family and I can't feed my family because of the laws and policies that we've enacted, 19,000 laws and policies. But if I change those laws and policies, what stops the next administration from re-implementing them or implementing something worse? So, 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 so I have to also change the, the, the way I understand the problem. My dear friend, Ronald Simpson Bay, who's in the book, um, would always say, you got to change hearts and minds. And when he said it, I would roll my eyes, uh, hearts and minds. I'd say, no, the problem is the law. The law is the engine. It's the policy that does the work. And it is the policy that does the work. It is the law that does the work. It, it, it is, but it is also the fact that I view uh, people who've harmed me as a risk and I govern from a place where I'm looking for safety instead of human thriving. And because of that, every time a new administration comes in with new ideas about the best way to keep us safe, we see some version of this theme enacted over and over again. It literally happens every single election cycle, whether Democrat or Republican, because it's also the 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 Democrat and Republican is 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 the is the depth of our politics. Like this, you know what I mean? So like like this is this 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 is also a part of the problem that is, that it's center left or center right. Like this this is where we go. That that our imagination is such that the political. Uh, uh, repertoire is, 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 is so limited that, that as far as I can maybe go is a workforce development program. As far as I can maybe go is is a recognition that pregnant women shouldn't be shackled when they're given birth. You know, like, but, but that's about as far as I can go. I can't go to this deeper place where I recognize the full human dignity and value of the people inside or out. And, 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 and my imagination is shallow. It's it, it it's not a historical imagination. This is a part of the reason why each of the chapters in the book has history. It's there's no history chapter. There's no, you know, part of the reason why is because we got to reckon with this history every moment in time. Every every you can't understand the Cook County Jail if you don't know it's a part of um, multiple expansion projects. And and and, and 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 there's a long history of mass incarceration that's local to that city that shows up in this interaction between me and the judge. It, our imagination has to go beyond thinking about what individuals do. Bad judges, bad prosecutors, bad defense attorneys, bad people who do bad things to think about the seats that they hold. What does it mean to be a judge? What, is it, what does it mean to be someone who's been criminalized, marginalized, presumed guilty? What does it mean to engage in harmful practice? What's the history of harm for say, black women of a certain age in a certain neighborhood? What's the history of harm experienced by, say, black boys in a certain neighborhood at a certain moment in time, born into this mass incarceration generation, which is all of us born after 1972? And so anyway, the, the, the point is that the, the intervention is often a tweak because the, the imagination of the problem, the scale at which we, we think has to do with the stuff that's readily available to us, in this case, the, the, the harm that might have been caused sort of in the moment. And that's as far as we can think, bad people doing bad things. But, 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 but I, th I, think, I think we need deeper thinking, systems thinking, you know? Yeah, there, there's not that systemic analysis, that historical analysis. And you say, and you, you, you frame this, this mass incarceration, its afterlife as the next in this lineage of social or lineage of control that dates back from slave ships through slavery, through Jim Crow. Um, and this is just the latest, newest iteration. So how does, how does this, I mean, what are the continuities? What are the departures in this form of control, especially racist, racialized control, 
um, versus what came earlier in terms of these thinking more system-wide? I think we have to look at how we construct the other. So on some level, there's an academic tenor to this discussion, which makes sense. Like we're, we're talking as, as two people from, from, from universities, but there's, there, there's something very practical here that, that, that I think we have to remember. So, so, so on the one hand, there's, there's, there's what our imaginations are doing. So there's the construction of the other. And we see, we see how criminality, um, how some uh, uh, presumption of violence and how sort of racialized notions of guilt and violence and, 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 and the stripping of innocence. Like we, we, we can see that throughout, throughout these moments. That, that, that's, the, that's the thing in common. And the reason why things look new is because when, like, like well, the, 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 the departure are the, are the techniques on some level, the, 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 the things that you do uh, in a given moment in time. So if you've got this, if you've got this, this otherizing framework, if you've got this, this place where you begin from, from a point of separation, me from this group, if you start there, me from the person I'm afraid of, the things I'm afraid of, if you start there, as you develop as a society, the things you develop reflect those things. So, so, so the law and policy apparatus that, 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 you know, of a, of a, um, you know, New York, Chicago, Oklahoma City, Lincoln, Nebraska, uh, you know, name your place in 2021 is still going to reflect that kernel of otherizing that, that we began because we haven't, we haven't tackled that, that historical continuity, that me versus you, that, that presumption of, of, of your danger, that belief in human nature this 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 belief that you're gonna harm me if you could because you want my things or something like that, you know. That, okay, yeah. That's kind of a general kernel, and the departures come with innovations in the in the moment. This doesn't mean that race overdetermines our social interactions, but but if you don't deal with how we otherize, if you don't deal with how we marginalize, if you don't deal with racism, if you don't deal with anti blackness, if you don't deal with the colonial encounter and what you do with it. Then you'll get you get you get new versions of things that are that are linked by that otherizing process. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, and and I wanna I wanna before we get to our closing question, I wanna follow up with one more question, sort of on that on the law. Um, in that you're writing about the sort of changes in the law, and, and this book is very much about all the regulations after incarceration that sort of reveal the fallacy that is a person can become a citizen, a full citizen again, they're rehabilitated or corrected, whatever the language of that State Department is. Um, and on the cover of your book, um, the printed book, you have a bunch of very good blurbs um, from reviewers and one of them, which is a good review. I want to read it to you and, and sort of ask you about it. It's from Kirkus Sarter Viewed. And it's, quote, reminiscent of Brian Stevenson's Just Mercy, Miller's well-argued book delivers a scarifying account of law gone awry, end quote. And it ends with that phrase, law gone awry. And in a book about laws, I want to ask you, is this a case of law going awry or is this a case of law doing what it's supposed to do? Yeah, it's, 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 a, it's a great question. And, and you know, I, I'll, I'll start by saying I don't know because... I'm not quite sure who was imagined as the as the subject of those laws. And I will say that what we have here though is a case of muscle memory at work on some level. So there are 45,000 laws, policies, administrative sanctions, the bar that 
people with criminal records from accessing all manner of things in the political economy and culture that fundamentally transform social life. And then there are laws on top of laws. It's this conditions of release you get handed when you walk outside of a jail or prison that, that demands that you do things. This is, this is, this is, this is uh, you know, something slightly different from the codified law in a given state. These, these are things just for you. You get handed the slip of paper. And then there's the informal, the uptake of all of this, the way, the way that it changes sort of the, the, the nature of things. And so, and so now they're, they're, they're kind of tacit rules so I could see this as being, oh, this is, this is what we were looking for. You know, we, we're afraid of this group. And so we do all this stuff. But I think some of this stuff has become so reflexive. I think some of this stuff has become so, such a matter of what we do when we write law, what we do when we write policy, how we design things. The idea that a landlord, think about this, if, if you own, you know, a giant building, you're, you have a you have a responsibility to a presumed responsibility to provide a safe, clean, safe and clean living conditions, which means you won't give people with criminal records quarter. That that's that's the presumption. Yeah, it's it's that idea of safety. Um, it's the it's safety. Becomes, yeah. Please, Alex. Yeah. No, I was just gonna say it's that idea of safety that is, in one way, so ambiguous, so personal. Um, but another way, society, as we were talking about at the beginning, has built up these ideas of what safe means, and more than that, who's safe and who's That's right. not safe. That's right. So if you so 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 if law, if 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 the law is an expression of the moral sentiment of a group in a given moment in time, this presumes that the the the, the uh, representative democratic project is working perfectly, a well-oiled machine that actually represents, you know, the needs and wants of, of a populace. So let's, let's presume that, which we know okay. is not the case. We'll, we'll presume. But, but, but even, if, even if we presume that was true, then the law is the, is the moral sentiment. The law could be, in, in a Darkamian sense, I suppose, like the moral sentiment of the populace. The law might reflect that. Okay, so now, if you've got an enemy in your mind, you know, then a cynical read of this would be, um, I'm going to write a law in which a grandmother can be evicted for letting you sleep on the couch because I hate you. I could read that cynically and I could say it's working, you know, it's, 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 it's working. Look, see, I could read that less cynically and say some people are trying to maintain safety as they understand it, which is necessarily routed onto groups of people that make them feel unsafe. And maybe I could read this a third way. That forty-five thousand laws by about forty law forty thousand. This becomes how we write, you know. So there's, there's like there's like the well-intentioned but produces harm person who, you know, schools who train people to go and do care work, for example, are trying to help folks interrogate, like yo, like like okay, you mean well, but but in your well-meaning, you know, what are the logics that you bring to bear on it, and and how do you understand the problem? Then there's the insidious, fat capitalist, evil racist who's sitting behind, you know, a board, you know, who's manipulating people as they do things with their power, which isn't always wrong, <laughs> you know, right? Like, 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 you know, like, like, like there are moments when we catch them, right? Like, like, like there, there are moments when you, when you get at all that intent. So there's intention, there's well intentions that go wrong, and then there's the way we've learned to do things and the way we've learned to see people. And the way we've learned to operate and the way we've learned to, to 
interact with one another. There's there's efficiency and bureaucratic routine uh, and 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 the inertia of of social life um, that has produced a situation in which we treat people a certain kind of way and don't even notice it. You know, I think that one of the reasons why the book's getting a lot of attention right now, and I'm grateful because you never know how it's going to work out and you pray that it does. Uh, I pray that it did. One of the reasons why I think the book gets a lot of attention is because I think people are starting to reckon with how they think about and treat other human beings. And I think this work of invisibility that we started with allows us to miss the systemic nature of the systems that we're talking about, where you you could find intent, the law working as it's intended. You could find well-meaning uh, mistakes and problems because there's some flaw in the analysis. And you could also find the institutional side of these things. So for example, you don't need a single racist person, though it's easy to find, just pay attention in the last several years, you know, last however many years, pay attention to what people say directly, their reasons for voting in particular ways, their reasons for supporting particular policies. Just, just listen to what they say. You'll find American racism and everything else. But, but you don't need that for um, college admissions to look a certain way, you know? Um, and so I wasn't trying to write about intention. I was trying to write about how things are and whether or not this is the intended outcome, which I can't imagine anybody saw 38% of their children getting arrested before they turn 23. I can't imagine them seeing that. Or a nation with the most prisoners in the, in the Western world. I can't imagine anybody saw that and was like, yo, this is what I want. I just, I just, I just can't, I can't figure who that person is. You know, even with like private prison corporations, you know, all this stuff, I still can't figure the person whose calculus is such that this level of suffering would be something that they want, especially given how little we know about how much people suffer, which is a part of the reason why the book is getting the attention that it does, because it's pointing out a kind of suffering that we haven't paid attention to and the kinds of life that people are able to make in the midst of it, you know, but, 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 it, but it does point out a kind of suffering. It does point out. Anyway, whether or not it's law gone awry or if it's bureaucratic routine or if it's some combination of those three things that, that, that I took a very long time to, <laughs> to, 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 to discuss, um, we're in trouble. <laughs> we're yeah. in trouble and we need to fix it. We need to fix yeah, it. Yeah, absolutely. I think that that, that that last point you made is so important that, that these laws and the system, as you read about, the consequences create a harm. They create such suffering in the world for people yet as you mentioned and as you show people are still able to make lives and there's this there's this tension throughout the book of hope and despair of love and rage that's just it, it really sets the frame for how people are resilient in the face of systems oppressing them yeah yeah so on that on that note i mean this has given me so much to think about um and to ponder, I want to end with the closing question that I asked to, to everyone who's sitting in your proverbial chair. What gives you hope today? Yeah, it's, it's, it's the movement of formerly incarcerated activists gives me the most hope. And then as probably most people who are observers of any time, um, kids, you know, watch it, watching what kids are doing, many of which have been incarcerated, by the way. You know, many many of which have been directly impacted, or have a mother, father, sister, brother, cousin, uncle, 
um, who's locked up. You know, I, I I take great hope in in, in the abolitionist movement um, for for this reason. I, I am I am not an abolitionist. I've, I've, I've said that. Uh, this doesn't mean that. You know, there the, are the reasons for that. Some of which have to do with me reckoning with my own desire for punishment. You know, like like I'm, I'm wrestling with that. I'm wrestling with what it means to to want punishment for people who've committed crimes. To think that that's a reasonable response to harm and the need for someone to call when they're gunshots or there's a rape or, um, and I'm wrestling with what the alternatives the abolitionists are giving me, giving us are in my personal life, um, which I hope is what they hope for. I hope they hope that people who aren't fully convinced are still wrestling with the argument, you know, and I am earnestly. And uh, the reason why the young abolitionists especially give me hope is because they're calling us to reimagine the world, which is hard. And nobody's, you know, you can't know what a reimagined world looks like. I mean, you know, right? Like, like, like we, 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 we can put, we can put in, we can, we can, we can try our best to reimagine what the systems will look like. And, 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 but, 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 to, but to build a world where prisons are unnecessary, where prisons are obsolete, where the legal apparatus that we've imagined, knowing how much harm it's caused. Um, isn't our go-to to address crimes. That brings me a lot of hope. The, the protests this summer and every summer for the last decade bring me great hope. But the hope I'm closest to are the formerly incarcerated activists who I had a chance to spend years with now, who are pushing against law, the laws and policies that hem them in, some of whom were innocent of the crimes for which they were convicted, most of whom were what we would call guilty. And they're saying, we deserve a place in the world because we're human beings. And that, that, that brings me great hope. Beautiful. Thank you. Yeah, I'll, I'll echo that. That reimagining a world is definitely hard, but those folks being activists, as you mentioned, definitely give hope. Well, thank you so much for being in conversation today, for sharing your time and your, your knowledge. Um, and thank you all for listening um, to this episode. Uh, Follow us on Twitter, OU underscore CSC. Join the conversation and look out for our next episode. Thank you. Thanks for having me.